0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Bad Rabbit is a new strain of malware that's hopped out of Petya's Hutch. The Lazarus Group is said to have taken control of some servers in India, Duck Warnings, Are industrial control system operators paying sufficient attention to Level 1 and Level 0 threats? Next May, we'll see not only GDPR, but also NIS. And Kaspersky continues to protest its innocence of spying and offers an explanation of what really happened with the NSA leaks. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, October 25th, 2017. A new strain of malware appears to have hopped out of Petya's Warren, and this one may well propagate as rapidly as its extended family. Russia, Ukraine, Germany, Turkey, Japan, and Bulgaria report outbreaks of Bad Rabbit, a malware strain that's acting like ransomware or pseudo-ransomware. Group IB thinks Bad Rabbit, which hit yesterday, looks like a Petya offspring— the largest single disruption so far appears to be in Ukraine, where Odessa's airport has had to curtail operations and increase security. The subway system in Kiev is also being affected. Russian news agencies Interfax and Fortanka were hit yesterday morning, as reportedly were two other media outlets, so far unnamed. Bad Rabbit's victim landing page is demanding approximately $283 to recover files. But the situation is still developing, and it remains to be seen whether this is a genuine extortion play, pseudo-ransomware aimed at disruption, or some mix of both. U.S. CERT advises against paying the ransom. If the perceived similarity to Petya and not Petya holds, Bad Rabbit can be expected to continue its rapid spread. Attribution at this stage is mere speculation. Nozomi Networks reached out to us this morning with their take on Bad Rabbit. Moreno Carullo, Nozomi's co-founder and chief technical officer, said, Our research shows that the group behind Bad Rabbit have spent considerable time creating their infection network, going back to at least July, with the majority of sites relating to media and news. Carullo also offered insights on how an infection works. When a victim visits what they believe is a legitimate site, they are instructed to download an Adobe Flash installer and update. Given that the attackers are targeting media and news sites that have previously employed flash to enhance the visitor experience, this request may not immediately arouse suspicion, but it should. If the user follows the redirection, the attack begins and the ransomware dropper downloads. Quote. Once the mark has executed the dropper, and the victim needs admin privileges to do so, a malicious DLL is saved and run using a customary utility. Carullo explains that their experience is that the malicious file tries to brute force login credentials and download an executable that appears to be derived from the DiskCryptor utility. That begins the encryption phase of the attack, replacing the bootloader the way NotPetya did. So what should an enterprise do? Don't pay the ransom. Consider investing in some real-time detection tools, and above all, back up your files. The Lazarus Group North Korean threat actor is reported to have taken control of a number of servers in India. The servers aren't the ultimate target. Rather, they constitute a platform from which other cyber attacks can be launched. DUCK attacks against devices using the ANSI X9.31 random number generator are being reported. DUCK, D-U-H-K, stands for Don't Use Hard-Coded Keys. There's a bit of a transformation going on as companies are moving more of their IT infrastructure to the cloud. What's motivating those moves can have a serious impact on security. Scott Kane is CEO at Delta Risk, and he offers his perspective.
1: The biggest shift that we've seen is that the use of the cloud is being primarily driven by the mid market. So, those companies that are 10 employees all the way up to 5,000 employees are now the primary users of these cloud environments because they do not have the staff to manage anything in-house. Uh, and at the end of the day, from a cost perspective, it makes a lot more sense for them to leverage most of their back office applications in the cloud. As this transformation is taking place, the business is moving out. Uh, so businesses are getting the efficiencies of the cloud. However, the security groups are usually left behind and they're in the usual state of catch up which is an obviously a problematic situation in today's cyber environment.
0: Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit. Uh, when you say they're playing catch up, what what, uh, what prompts that?
1: Most of from what I've seen has been a situation where the business and the ops and the IT teams have had a directive internally to either increase the efficiencies of their back office applications or increase the capabilities of their back office applications. And so they're left with no choice but to move out to the cloud relatively quickly. In most cases, the security teams are an afterthought from what I've seen, and what ends up happening is the folks that are driving the business needs don't want any barriers and therefore to some extent are leaving the security teams out of the mix. So in many cases, what we find out is the security teams don't even realize that the company is hosting some of these applications out there and only find out after the fact and then get asked to go ahead and try to fix it. And I'd say, as it relates to the larger firms, that is clearly an issue when you're dealing with the DevOps side of the house. So you've got developers within an organization that are pushing out code to uh, and, and production code, which are a vital interest to any firm, out to environments like AWS and GitHub When you speak to the security staff and ask them whether or not they feel as if they've had visibility into these environments, the answer is normally no, or I'm not sure. From my experience and what we've seen as a growing trend is that the developers are basically creating the next generation of the Wild Wild West, pushing their code out, using these environments. The security staff is unaware that the development staff are doing these things. And then it's not until something shows up in the press or someone is proactively searching to see actually what's going on. Do they find out after the fact that they've got environments as well as individuals working, whether it be in Azure or whether it be AWS or GitHub, as I mentioned earlier, they then have to go back and figure out how to strap things down and retroactively put in the policy and governance as well as the monitoring in place to keep tabs on these individuals that are are doing things that are putting the company at risk.
0: So where's the communication gap here? I mean, surely security is not a, a mystery in terms of, of that it needs to be handled these days. And and I would say one of the things we've seen in the past couple of years is that that message has reached the board. So how can they be being left out of these conversations and, and these uh, you know setting of rules and policies?
1: Well, it's definitely a cultural thing. I mean, the, the textbook answer here is that the software development lifecycle, uh, especially for the development teams, should include security staff from the onset. Uh, We've been professing that for decades, and frankly, it's been a challenge to get people to adhere to that. Variety of reasons. There might be personality conflicts. The security staff might impact the pace at which the teams have been asked to get things out. So picture this, you've got a requirement to have something done by a particular timeframe. The security staff shows up and indicates that in order for the company to do everything that they wanna do, it's gonna require additional funding, it's gonna require more time, to make sure that most of the structural pieces are in place to make sure that this environment is secure. And frankly, people tend to avoid wanting to have those conversations because they just have a directive to get things done. The answer is simple, which is the teams from security staff should be involved, as I've said at the beginning. Unfortunately, if they are in a state of catch up, uh, it's driving a good part of our business model to help security teams catch up to the speed of the business. You know, over time, I think cultural people get ahead of it. It's just not there yet.
0: That's Scott Kane from Delta Risk. In industry news, security company Securebox has announced closing a $150 million funding round. We're represented down in Atlanta this week at Security Week's 2017 Industrial Control System Cybersecurity Conference. A few notes from the event. The conference always features the annual State of the State address by ICS thought leader Joe Weiss of Applied Control Solutions. In yesterday's address, he described widespread challenges in the industrial control system security field as a whole. In particular, he deplored the way in which the IT security has taught the ICS community lessons he believes can be more misleading than helpful. Our challenge isn't information assurance, it's mission assurance, he said. The engineer's job is safety and availability. Fundamentally, the engineer doesn't care whether a disruption arises from malice, error, or an act of God— As long as it disrupts operations or affects safety, it must be dealt with. The consequences of failing to do so can not only be expensive, but in the worst cases, lethal. Purdue University's ICS reference architecture describes several levels. Level 4 compromises business logistics systems, things like ERP. Level 3 includes manufacturing operations, Level 2 control systems, SCADA. Level 1 comprises intelligent devices that sense and manipulate processes, and Level 0 defines the actual physical processes themselves. Weiss argued that insufficient attention has been paid to Levels 1, and especially 0. He shared a like he received on LinkedIn for a DEFCON presentation on this very point. It came from an Iranian water supply system manager. What does this mean? Apart from telling us that Joe is huge in Tehran, which anyone might have guessed... Iranian water utilities certainly have as legitimate an interest in protecting their operation as anyone else, but it also suggests that unaddressed ICS vulnerabilities haven't escaped the attention of nation-state adversaries. And finally, Kaspersky Lab continues to maintain its innocence of spying, and it's offering an account of what they believe happened in the NSA leak incident they've been associated with in the press. The company says the NSA contractor, or employee – accounts now differ – mentioned as the source of sensitive leaked files, backdoored his own machine by downloading and installing malicious pirated software. So, if Kaspersky's correct, the NSA type scored a trifecta in the what-you-shouldn't-do race, putting highly classified files on his own device, taking that device home, and then downloading pirated software. Bad, bad, and bad. Our advice, of course, is don't be bad. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Um, we got a list from our friends at IBM. You know, people send us things that uh, from time to time that they would like us to talk about. And I actually thought this was a good list for us to, uh, to go through. They called this Not Your Father's Cybersecurity Tips. <laughs> and uh, our friend Bob from IBM sent this over. I thought it was a pretty good list. Uh, why don't you uh, start off, take us through the first one here.
2: The first one is, is on this list is lie on your security questions. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a great idea. I actually do this on a regular basis. So if you're on a website and they say, we need to be able to recover your password, Let's ask some security questions that only you know. Like right. uh, what's your mom's maiden name is a very common <laughs> one, right? Yeah. What's your dog's name? What's your what are your what's your oldest kid's name? Well, all this information is now available on Facebook. Yeah. And it's very easy to find it. So lie. So when they ask what your mom's maiden name is, tell them it's something completely ridiculous.
0: Yeah, well, some people have even said just put random characters in you there. Could, way, you could you could do know, that as well. You just have to remember what they are. That's right. the you have to remember your lies. Right, exactly. Right? Which, uh, so yeah. <laughs> if you use a
2: password manager, uh, the password manager I use, and I've talked about it here on the show many times, is Password Safe, and they have a space for notes, mm. and the notes are also encrypted uh, with, your, with the rest of your information about the website, uh, so it's, it's fine
0: to store them in there. Going through the list, uh, I mean, some of these we've talked about before, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on them. An ideal password is a long, nonsensical phrase. Right. we talked about that many times. Yes. Uh, You were just saying, uh, their third one here is store passwords in a digital vault. Right. Check.
2: The third one here, storing your passwords in a digital vault or a password manager, makes the second one possible. uh, Because Mm. it's very difficult to remember long, nonsensical passwords for 300 websites yeah. that you might might be a user of. That's um, for sure. Uh, the right. fourth one here is double dip on security checkpoints. Yep. Anytime you can enable a security checkpoint that's an option on a website, you should, particularly with two-factor authentication. Uh, this is so simple nowadays because we have cell phones. Everybody has a cell phone, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can actually enable two different kinds of two-factor authentication. One is where they send you a text message, which is the method I prefer and another one is a time-based uh, temporary code. So right.
0: Google Authenticator Google Authenticator is, is, popular, is a prime um, example of that. That's
2: yeah. that's actually based on a standard that the number escapes me right now, but it's it's they you get a you you and the computer share a, uh, the computer trying to authentic authenticate to share a seed mm-hmm. and then that seed is applied to an algorithm and as long as nobody else has the seed, it's very difficult to predict what the next number is going to be.
0: And their last one here is get down with biometrics. Right. Um, biometrics, to me,
2: I, I, I'm i not 100% convinced about biometrics. It's better than nothing.
0: So this is things like fingerprint scanning. Fingerprint and, scanning, And, you yeah. know, Apple has the new uh, Face ID. Right. Things like that.
2: Those, those are better than having an open phone, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. for not, than not securing your phone. And they're very easy to implement. I don't know. I think there's not enough research done on the security of these things. And research I have seen suggests that these things are easily defeated or at least can be defeated. I don't know if can be defeated and easily defeated. I don't view them as the same things. Right. A lot of people in security do. Um, you know, Cryptographers view things as either secure or not secure. There's a very right. binary view there i i like to view things more on a spectrum uh from <laughs> you know, i uh, i don't have to i don't secure. have to
0: outrun the bear i just have to outrun you <laughs> exactly <right>? yeah <laughs> that's right
2: <laughs> you don't need to be the fastest guy you just shouldn't be the slowest guy right
0: all right well i mean it's a good list overall it's a good list uh so yeah. thanks uh thanks for our friends at ibm for sending it over and thanks to you joe for joining us dave it's my pleasure